Oh, man, our God is good to us. I was driving home yesterday from uh, being out, and I was driving down some back roads. And, of course, on back roads, is turns and sharp turns. And I was racing. And I was thinking I was in one of Steve's cars, and that was awesome. And I wasn't. I was in my Hyundai Sonata with a partially flat tire. Don't worry about it. We'll get it fixed. But uh, as I was driving home, um, I, came a, I came around a turn, and on one of those turns was a car pulled to the side of the road. And uh, as I was passing the car, the gentleman was standing outside of his vehicle, nicely dressed man, and he was trying to flag someone down. And I immediately felt like I was back in Livingstone, Zambia, or Guatemala, or one of those places. Nice car, and he was there, and he was trying to flag people down. And you know what I did? Get ready. Kept driving. <laughs> Confessing to you. From, we just took the table. I'm going to be honest with you. What did I do? I kept driving. And uh, I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount lately. And we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. The biggest thing about this sermon that Jesus gives in the beginning of Matthew here is it is, it is a conversation in a, in a continual prick at your heart. Who are you? Jesus is speaking to his disciples and specifically those that, that say they follow him. He's on this mountain. He's declaring truth. And he repeatedly is saying in this sermon, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. In essence, he's communicating the Old Testament and Mosaic law says it this way. And now myself, the true Messiah, comes on scene. And I'm going to speak above the law, in essence. You've heard that it was communicated like this. And now myself and my authority and position, I'm going to fulfill that for you. And I'm going to clear up some misunderstandings about what that law said that you're living. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And then he gives instruction. So this is an amazing time because the Jewish audience that Matthew is writing to, reading the story, would have been flabbergasted. They would not have liked what Jesus is saying. This would have been a big deal. And so, anyway, we're going to get onto that in a second. It's about heart. It's about heart issues. And so as I was driving and past him, I, could, I um, physically didn't feel right. Because I passed up the guy, I saw he was in trouble, and then I just thought to myself, what if that was me? What if that was my wife? What if that was someone that I knew? And, and he's, he's longing for hope. He's looking for help. And he's, and he's there standing trying to fly people down. And there were five cars in front of me that also went by. So I pull a U-turn. I come back around. I try to assist the guy. And by that time, somebody had stopped and was already helping him. But I share that with you to confess to you that I don't have it all together first. And so I'm speaking to you out of humility. But secondly... As we're looking at these passages, this is a difficult topic to speak on because it's heart issues. In my family, my father just recently had a triple heart bypass surgery. Um, and so there's some big things going on physically for him. They actually opened him up and, and we're fixing things. And at the same time that going on, I felt like I'm having spiritual heart surgery, spiritual triple bypass. There's a lot of clogged up stuff that needs to be cleared because I perceive the world through the way I think it should be ran. Or I'm perceiving the world in what my expectation of how it should go. Or, church family, I look at God and I tell God how I think it should be because of what I think I know is to be truth. And so reading over the Sermon on the Mount and having that experience is, is, is a, a, abrasive to me because it's telling me that I don't have it correct. And the one that does is Jesus. So as we look at his word, I pray that you would humbly open your mind and your heart with me to discover these truths. So here we are. We're going to talk about a kingdom outlook. Uh, Stephen, last week, he spoke about the heart, and he spoke about it in a way of um, idolatry, really asking kind of a question, what masters you? 
And so in the text that we're going to come to, it's right after uh, the text where Jesus lays, talks about laying up treasures in heaven. Remember with me, over and over and over again, this discourse is about the heart. Jesus is challenging you to say, if you are a follower of mine, if you're professing to be my disciple, then this is what it looks like. And then he's going to end the Sermon on the Mount with some pretty aggressive things to say, this is what it looks like to do the will of the Father. This is, this is how you get there. It's through a narrow gate. And so we're not going to cover the whole thing because it would take weeks. But I'm trying to bring you up to speed on where we are. He has just spoken to his disciples, those listening, about laying up treasures in heaven. And he's asking the question, really, who is your master? You can't serve two. It's either going to be God or money. And that falls in line very much with what Stephen spoke about last week, about how uh, oftentimes we choose what we think is right or comfortable or good, and we, we cling to those things instead of clinging to the truth of the gospel and knowing who God is as our true master. And so then this week, we're going to go to the next passage where it talks about right here, do not be anxious. I don't profess to have all the answers. Um, I've sat with a lot of people who are anxious. I am by no means a counselor. I'll leave that up to Bethany Rye. <laughs> if you need that, she's a trained counselor. I am not. But I have the scripture in front of me, and what we're going to talk to is the Word of God, and I want to look at your heart on the Word of God and what it looks like. This season in particular, I think a lot of things flare up for a lot of people, one of which is status, money. Who do you serve? You can't get the best deals, and you can't get the right things, and then the things that you do get don't measure up to what everybody else has, and that becomes a problem. But then on the converse of that, it's, all, it's, all, it's often difficult being with family sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult being without family. Sometimes it's difficult just going through the season and not knowing emotions and all the rest that have bombarded you. And so what I'm asking you and what Jesus is asking in this passage, before he says, choose your master, now he's saying, choose your outlook. You're going to either choose faith or you're going to choose worry. And a follower of Jesus Christ is the one that is first based in faith so that no matter what we go through, there's a foundation to the things that we're establishing. All right, so here we go. Let's read, please, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Do not be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So he's connecting what he just said before, talking about you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Now, as a result, I tell you, don't be anxious. Because we have in line as a platform, if you're my follower, you're choosing to follow God as your master. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the, and, and the body more than clothing? He gives two examples here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life, to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So remember Solomon there being, uh, not only did he, he ask for wisdom and the Lord gave it to him, but with that accrued amazing wealth that his father David had set up, the temple was built under Solomon. So Jesus is comparing this king who established for Israel amazing wealth and accrued such greatness. He's comparing that to his own creation. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So that's what Jesus is getting at. The heart issue is faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So as we go on here, we're going to look at the righteousness of the kingdom works out in the details of one's personal life that Jesus calls to follow. And we're asked this question, are you going to choose faith or are you going to choose worry? What is your outlook? So I, of course, in true youth ministry form and all the rest, have created a little acronym thing. I took the out on look and I put three points to it. Isn't that brilliant? Thank you, church family. On Jesus, unselfishly, and trusting in God, we're going to look. So this is not, this is, the principles are biblical, please. But this is not straight from the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? There are pr- biblical principles that we'll talk about today and how it ties into the text. But this, this, that is not the acronym that the Bible straight gives us. He's asking you a straight question. What is your outlook? It needs to be on Christ, on Jesus, in faith, instead of worry what you can accomplish for yourself. All right, number one. As we make righteous choices, we should be able to have an outlook that's based in faith, which means we're looking to Jesus. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Our source is Jesus Christ. You know, it's so difficult going throughout all these Black Friday deals and going through the the rigmarole of seasons and finding the greatest savings because it, it, it really changes your whole mentality and determination on what you can get for yourself and the best thing that's for you. And then we seem to get tunnel vision in this season oftentimes, not remembering the hope that we have in Jesus, the peace that we have in Jesus, and really this, the fulfillment of the Messiah coming in general. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the fact and reality for you and me that God came into the world. Because we're blinded oftentimes, or steered away from those things by getting the best things for ourselves. And so Jesus is hitting this face on here. He's saying, life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. Look at my creation. Look at what I've established. Look how beautiful it is. Look how they don't have to worry and toil for things, but I provide for them. How much more can I provide for you? Our focus has to be on Jesus Christ. There's more to life than what consumes just our culture. Um, I was driving home from work one day, and um, there was a big line of traffic, and it was all inching forward towards a stop sign. And uh, as I was driving by, I was kind of going slow along the line, but I could see I was a teenager just getting off of school. And um, have we ever, you guys ever seen videos on YouTube or TV of people not paying attention because they're looking at their phone? They're hilarious, so you should. But it's actually really, really sad commentary kind of on our culture. So uh, they have people looking at their phones and straight walking into glass doors or they're texting and looking at the phone in like a mall and they're not paying attention. And so they, they run into one of the fountains in the middle of the mall and just go straight into the water. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. So this is what happened and I felt really bad for this guy. He was looking at his phone and he was texting because they, they were stopped in traffic. But he was finishing his text and so he saw the line moving like we all do at times and he pushed the gas and went. But he only had about two feet to go so he just slammed in the back of the car in front of him. Oh, he felt, you could tell right away. I saw his face. I saw his emotion. I saw everything that that took place. I felt miserable for him because he had no idea what was going on. And immediately, what he thought was happening and where he thought was going was stopped. 
Oh, and then how do you explain that to your mom and dad? There's no good way out of that one. Um, I think oftentimes we focus our attention on other things. And then when it's time to go, and we're altered, or, or our course has changed, or we're stopped like we hit a wall, we don't know what's happening. Jesus is telling us, where's your heart? If you're a follower of mine, your outlook needs to be on the things of first importance, which are the things of the kingdom, which are on me, which are on the things that I'm discipling you in, which is the way that I'm living and the way that I'm asking you to follow. And so he's taking his disciples on a, on a discourse here and on a lesson to say, I'm laying out for you a straight path that makes sense and is all about honoring God. And if we veer from that, there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be hardship. The first point of our outlook has to be on Christ. It has to be on Jesus. When we start thinking about the provision that we get for ourselves, creating the anxiety or the fear or the worry of not having enough, we've completely missed the point of the kingdom. The point of the kingdom is not just the things that we attain or accrue for ourselves. It's the reality and how we stand in the place that God has given to us, being agents of redemption in the world to show his glory, his worth, his might, that then would glorify him. So you see, the perspective is first off. Oftentimes, we're not looking on Jesus. We're looking on ourselves. And so when we can't see where we're going or don't know what's coming next, we fall into this trap or a cyclical thing of worrying and trying to figure it out. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. God will care for us as image bearers. The Lord will care for you and for me much more than the rest of creation. So he uses two examples, the birds and the lilies. And he's in essence saying, as an image bearer, how much more will I provide for you than the beauty of what I've established for you to be able to see? These are things that you can't even comprehend or understand. But Jesus has it all working out for his glory and for his greatness. So your outlook as a kingdom agent, first and foremost, is to be on Jesus. That means make choices that are righteous and know that as we, as we pursue him and follow him, we're leading a life towards the things that he wants. Praise the Lord. Secondly, the you in out is unselfish. <clears throat> the you in out is unselfish. Whether we're aware of it or not, oftentimes anxiety or worry brings, to, brings our attentions to the forefront of our mind rather than focusing on the greatness of our king. We just hit on that before. Our attention should be on Jesus Christ, right? Oftentimes when we are selfish, we first and foremost put our needs, we put our values, we put our thoughts in the place of other people, and it doesn't allow us to be faithful kingdom agents of restoration in the world that are yearning for a transformation where they are. So we go back to my example of driving the car. The reason I didn't stop was because I wanted to get home. The reason I didn't stop was because it was going to take time away from what the GPS said at the bottom of my phone. It said I would arrive home at 3.55. And if I were to stop, I wouldn't be able to be with my wife and my kids until past 3.55. I'm confessing to you that the decision I made was utterly selfish. It was all about me. It was all about what I wanted, what I could gain, what I could get. And so then at that very moment, the opportunity to minister truth to a person in need was out the window because what I wanted and what I could see was far greater than what, what the actual need was. Our focus has to be on Jesus. If our focus is on Jesus, the GPS time at the bottom of the phone doesn't matter. 
Obviously, you got to do that well, and you got to communicate what's taking place and all the rest. But if you hear the big picture, right? Our, our attention has to be off of ourselves and put onto Christ. When people fall, or in this passage, when we're looking at worry or anxiety and, and then rest, we're looking so much at our needs and our interests and what we get, the food we eat, the clothing we'll wear, and not seeing where God can place us and he can use us for his purposes. We'll get into it, but the answer to this is what he says in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom and all else will be added. That's where we're going with this, right? And so when we don't seek the kingdom... And we seek our own needs, we seek our own prosperity, we seek the things that make us feel comfortable, then we're missing the mark as true believers and disciples of Jesus. Our heart is not in the right place. All right. Whether we're aware of it or not, anxiety brings an inward looking, where we're looking, where as the gospel of Jesus Christ is asking us to look to the needs of others first. <clears throat> know your value over creation. What will help you transform your mindset is instead of looking down and then being nervous about things that are in life. And listen, there are so many things in life. So I'm not, I'm not pretending that I have a switch just by all of a sudden transforming your mindset then transforms your problems. It doesn't. They will still be there, right? But it transforms your perspective or your outlook in the situation to see who Christ is and to see he's with you in it and will bring you through it, all right? And so you, you know your value over creation. We are like God as image bearers. He has put more value on us as his image bearers than he has on the birds and on the lilies. And that is not a demeaning statement as much as truthful biblical statement. In the beginning, he created, and he created all these things, and we know this verse over and over again. But there's only one aspect of creation. That is you and me. that he formed and he breathed life into and he put his image on. And they said, this is very good. Oftentimes when we're in deep times of worry or or the rest, we don't see ourselves anymore as image bearers and as kingdom agents, but we see ourselves in the situation as not enough. Or we're not valued. We don't have these things. And if you can hear today anything, also hear this. God values you. He values you so much that he's put his image upon you. And so to bring your mind out of where you're focused on whatever it is, maybe your needs or relationships or whatever it is, put your focus first on Jesus to see how he values you and then what that looks like lived out in life. Because again, Jesus is talking to his disciples, those that follow him already. This is not a message for gaining, getting access to the kingdom. This is a message for those that are already there. And he's saying, if you're there and you follow me, this is what it looks like to have a heart like mine to have a perspective like mine that's always on the Father and to know that it's not about you and your life, but it's about how you glorify me first and then, and then that is pushed out towards the service of others. Uh, it's more than any other aspect of creation. God put his image on you and he sent his son to die for you. So in those moments of, of hardship or weakness, pause to first put your eyes on Jesus. Secondly, remember that uh, we're called to live unselfishly that God has valued us and given us the ability to then transform outwardly the way that we live with people. <clears throat> I, um, I have felt this in so many ways, but you know, one thing that my father has put in me and has really helped me is to consider the needs of others first. Um, and what that looked like specifically are, are small things. Kathy and I recently at the beginning of summer went away for a small trip and it was a wonderful time just to be able to refresh and kind of get time together and talk. 
And on coming home, oftentimes what happens is you are met with all the chores of life and the things that still need to be done. One of which typically is always your grass needs to be cut. And it's the worst thing. You get home, you're ready to relax and put your feet up after the vacation and kind of try to continue the vacation, which never works, especially with kids. Um, but we came home, and my grass was already cut. It's a small thing. It's a little thing. And I didn't know what happened. And my dad had gotten it cut for me, which is truly an amazing gift. And he utilized uh, some youth in, in the church where he's at. And the, just the blessing to be able to come home to something, to know that somebody was thinking about me. And then not only thought about me, but took an action to help alleviate some form of burden in my life was an unselfish decision. Now, when we're talking about anxiety, obviously, or being anxious specifically in this context, what does it look like to choose faith over fear? Cutting grass is not necessarily the heart of what we're getting at, but I am trying to say perspective-wise, what does it look like to always be thinking about how can I exemplify Christ to other people? How can I put forth an attitude and a mindset and a heart where me as a follower of Christ allows other people to see the majesty, the beauty, and the bigness of who he is, right? Rather than just law, 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 conviction, conviction, conviction. What does it look like to live life before other people that it drives them to see the beauty of Jesus in this world and to know that there is something far greater than just the hardships that we go through daily? Our our outlook is based in faith that Jesus is enough, not just in worry and fear that we're constantly going through something. The last one I have for you is the T, trust in God. The heart of what Jesus is saying here is when we, when we are worrying or focusing on our own needs or on ourselves or in situations or in things that, that take place, our trust is in ourself and not on God. Oftentimes we don't know that, we can't experience it, we can't see it, but he's, he's calling us to remember that God graciously cares for you. He's not left you, he's not forsaken you. Our call is to trust in God as the one that's in control and not our own ability to do something. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in deeper anxiety or worry or those kind of things, just like this, it's, it's what, what can I do, what can I provide, how can I plan, how can I get to this thing for, for whatever need I have. And we're trying to remember here and recall to remember it's that God is the one that graciously cares. We're to trust in God and in his control. Control is in the Lord and not in man. You cannot add to what God determines. The beauty for us as believers is that we have responsibility in life to live for him anywhere we go. But our responsibility needs to be first towards the obedience of how he directs us. Not just making up our own way or trying to press forth our own agendas, but seeing as we follow Christ, the reality for us is to know his goodness and his bigness lived out through how we go into the world. So live in faith, not fear, because of the work of the Prince of Peace. I don't know how he did it, but Jesus is truly amazing. Um, I studied a a little while ago the story where he was um, crying out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, and I'm, I would confess to you guys that that emotion would look to me like great anxiety and worry because I don't know what's coming. Crucifixion was imminent. Betrayal was imminent for Jesus. Things were coming for him that he knew about. But his reaction and emotion to that situation was not anxiety and worry. It was dependence and trust. Isn't that pretty amazing? And so he cried out to God in the garden even to the point of sweating blood 
because of what was to come, knowing the emotion, knowing the separation from God, knowing all these things that was to happen, him becoming sin, not only physically feeling the brutal crucifixion that was about to take place, but knowing that he would become sin on our behalf and that God would turn his back on him, knowing as God and man the plan set forth. But even in that moment, he didn't sin. Jesus has a lot of room for emotion in the Bible. Repeatedly, he says, do not worry. Something about that one emotion communicates something of our heart. Because when we worry, we are saying, I can't control this, and no one else is big enough to do so. When we transform our gaze in faith, we're saying, God, you are big enough. I don't worry because you are in control. I have the ability to rest at night because you don't sleep or slumber. I have the ability to know peace in my life because you have taken the penalty of my sin and now I know a right relationship with God. And so at the heart of what Jesus is saying, at the heart of worry, at the heart of all these things, is is your life rooted in faith in who God is and what he provides and what he does? Or do you have to do something to manipulate it? Do you have to control it? Is your grip on it too tight where you can't allow the Lord to take over for you? So my admonition to you in this season in particular is this. God came. God came into the world because he knows that's our proclivity. Jesus speaks on it in the Sermon on the Mount because he knows you and I deal with it. This is common for every person. Anxiety, worry, fear. And oftentimes it masters us. So here's the call to the church this morning. What will you do? Jesus is asking that same question. What is your outlook? What will you choose? If we choose righteous decisions, so if we choose faith over fear, it, it switches our perspective on Jesus. But if we choose the situation to overwhelm us and those kind of things, what we're saying in essence is God is not big enough and I need to figure these things out on my own. So my challenge to you, especially in this season, This is an issue for all of us. What does it look like for us to trust the bigness of who God is? That his plan covered every aspect of sin. That as far as the curse reached, his grace abounds all the more. And so now when we go through these experiences, when we have these emotions, there is a way out for us, which is verse 33, and it says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day of its own trouble. Go day by day. And don't try to figure out your life in every aspect, in every category, in every facet for for eternity. Focus on today and focus on Jesus Christ today. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the rest will be added. The, The question Jesus is asking is, what is your outlook? Choose faith over worry. Recognize that I'm in control and recognize that there is a means to get through these difficult times and that is seeking first the kingdom, knowing that I will supply to you righteousness, that I will supply to you what you need. And of course, we hear from the great apostle Paul in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. So that peace, my friends, is not an emotion. The great prince of peace himself, I believe, will guard your heart and he will guard your mind. 
right? If we understand the gospel applied, he's also given to us the helmet of salvation, right? So then apply to yourself in your mind and in your heart the gospel of Jesus Christ to seek first the kingdom and to know righteousness applied. Once again, just doing these things doesn't change situations, right? It changes perspective and outlook. So that as you go through those situations, you're doing it with Christ and in his providence, in his care, in his faith, rather than just your own strength to try to, to, try to muster your way through. Our God truly is a God above all things, and he is wonderful. What is your outlook? Choose righteousness. Choose righteous choices that reveal your heart after God. If he's your master, then show it by how you live and look at the world. Choose faith over worry and know the value of your life in Christ and that God graciously cares for you, supplying your needs and is in full control. Trust God. On this Advent, we remember peace. The opposite of peace is war. And I believe anxiety creates an internal war within us. And so hear the word of God. Present your request to him. And know the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This day and for the rest of the holiday, I ask that you would put forth Jesus as first. Live unselfishly and trust in God because he's in control. Know that he reigns and he rules and no one can measure up to his bigness. No one can defeat him. Allow me to pray for you. Jesus Christ, we humbly come before you and say thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. Lord, the Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew 5 through 7, is honestly as difficult because it is, it's constantly getting at the heart. And so, Lord, alongside my church family, I confess, Lord, when my heart goes astray, thank you that you have given us the ability and the forgiveness and the grace to know that you are the one that brings us back. So, Lord Jesus, we say align our hearts with you. Align our perspective with who you are that we would focus on you living unselfishly and trusting fully in you, almighty God, as the source of our life and the one that's in control. So, Lord, we profess faith in you and say thank you for guarding us, for directing us, and for allowing us to know you. Thank you for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ applied, and especially in this season, we thank you, Jesus Christ, that you came and that you didn't leave us in the brokenness and in the bondage and in these feelings. But, Father, you have given us your kingdom and your righteousness. So we seek you first. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, go in peace, knowing the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Have a great day. And children, thank you. If you were in grades one through four, come on up here, and we're going to talk. What was the example and what was the topic? Come on up here, one through four, and if you don't have it, I'll help you. Yeah. Come on up to Miss Kathy. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You are dismissed.